Hi, I hope I'm live and I hope um, the audio is coming out right. I'm trying a new thing where I've I've basically inserted like an external mic um, onto my phone. And so I'm not sure whether or not the audio is actually coming through. But I see my sort of like audio ring around my profile is beaming. So I'm guessing that I am audible and that people are able to hear me. For those of you who are going to be listening to this episode on other podcasting platforms, I'm trying a new um, podcasting platform called Colin. Um, basically, Colin is sort of like a clubhouse, or for those of you who are more acquainted with, with Twitter spaces, it's basically that kind of thing where you set up a profile, you are able to set up a show. And then you can host the room and you can open the room um, and then people get to come in, they listen to you speak. And then you're also able to have callers who are able to essentially um, converse with you. Um, the reason why I opted to rather do call-in as opposed to traditionally open a Twitter space or go to Clubhouse is because I want to sort of try out call-in as a space. Um, and I also like the intimacy that comes with Colin. Also, I'm in South Africa and not a lot of people know about Colin. Um, whereas if I was in a Twitter space, you know, like every, any random person would be able to get in there. But I think I sort of want to give Colin a test run so that I can, you know, um, test myself out. But this episode is ultimately going to go into, into my podcast and sort of the big, um, plan for this is that I want to be able to record episodes for my podcast, put it up there, and then maybe later on that day or the day after the podcast goes live, um, I'm able to come on to call in and have, you know, people just jump on and speak about whatever the podcast episode is about. The link to my podcast is on this is on this calling app. But, you know, enough rambling about, you know, what I want to do. I want to jump straight into the conversation that I want to have um, for today, which de facto is the podcast episode. And that is how TikTok platforms transphobia. This conversation is going to very much be specific to the South African context because that's obviously where I live. Um, majority of the TikTok content that I pay attention to is South African content. I mean, it's TikTok, so I get served literally content from all over the world. But what I specifically pay attention to is South African content. And as well as sort of the cases of transphobia or the ways in which transphobia plays out that I am more acquainted with is in a South African context. Basically that's what I wanted to try and try and put out to put out there. So I want to start off by sort of like laying out the laying out the conversation by saying that there was there was a case last year of um Lulu Ntutela. Lulu Ntutela was a young gay man who in about the end of March, the end of March 2021, goes out with a friend of his. Um, they go out to a local um, tavern. And for those of you who don't know what a tavern is, sort of like a pub or a bar. Um, less Less formal than a pub and a bar, but it's just basically a place where um, people 
go and drink basically and uh, Lulu Tutela and a friend go out to drink late at night um, and then in the AMs Lulu Tutela gets approached by another guy and this guy takes him home and once they get home the other guy realizes that Tutela is actually not a woman but a gay man and upon this realization, he then proceeds to murder um, Lulun Tutela, burns his body, uh, buries his body in, an un- in a shallow grave in his backyard, and then burns his mattress. Because his mattress had bloodstains, there were also bloodstains in his room as well. Um, a couple of days go by, and Tutela's family realizes that He's missing. They open up uh, a missing persons case. And a couple of days after the missing persons case is opened, the guys, so the guy's name is Luvuyo Jonas. Jonas's family reports to the police that they think that their son has done something suspicious because he burnt his mattress, those bloodstains in his room. The police go over to Jonas's house and they discover Ndutela's body in an unmarked grave. Now, it would, it would be one thing for this to have been a particular story, a, a special story, but there is a trend amongst um, gay men, trans women, as well as um, femme-presenting people who are murdered by men in South Africa, that they are accused of having tricked the men. This generally does happen late at night um, when people have been drinking and you see a woman that you're attracted to, you take her home, you realize she's actually a trans woman and she gets murdered. Or some men complain about trans women having, like tricking them on the internet, where you see someone's Twitter profile or the Instagram profile, you see an attractive woman, you decide to reach out to them, DM them, set up a date or whatever, um, and then ultimately realize that this person is trans. So what I'm trying to hit at is that in a lot of cases of transphobia or where femme men or gay men or trans women or femme non-binary people are murdered, very often the excuse that's given by their killers is that this person tricked me or they tricked me into falling for them, they tricked me into getting into bed with them, and basically I was justified in doing what I did because I was tricked. And it is a way for people who do perpetrate these crimes to turn the attention away from themselves as the perpetrators onto the victim, to say it is the victim's fault because they shouldn't have tricked me. They should have told me from the get-go that they were not born with a vagina, basically is what, you know, needs to happen. And... So, so the, the, there has generally been that sense, right, within the the state of violence against femme people, trans women, femme gay men, femme binary people, that they trick straight men into sex. And so when they are beaten or murdered or any kind of violence is perpetrated against them, it is sort of painted as their fault because they've tricked the man into doing the thing. Now, to sort of put it into TikTok, so I I spend an unhealthy amount of time on TikTok. And because TikTok is, 
it leans very heavily towards um, younger people. Obviously, it's an app on the internet. Anyone can be on there. And there are people of, you know, different ages who are on TikTok. But globally and on a South African context, the majority of people who are active watchers and also active creators on the app tend to be younger. And so it makes sense that the sort of most famous people on TikTok would be people who are in their early 20s, right? I mean, if you think about the most followed accounts on TikTok, Charlie D'Amelio, Kaby Lame, you know, all of those incredibly famous people with like millions of followers on TikTok, excuse me, all of those people are below the age of 25, right? And it's no different in South Africa where the people who are sort of most famous on TikTok tend to be younger. And there's a particular group of young queer people on TikTok who have also amassed quite a bit of fame, right, on on the platform. I know one of those people has 1.1 million followers. Another one of them has, I think, about 300,000 followers. They tend to have, you know, quite a healthy following on TikTok. And so because of the healthy following that they have, they have a ridiculous amount of engagement. They have to pump out content consistently in order for them to keep growing on the platform. And also because of their following, their content gets served to a wider range of people because they have mass appeal. So the way that the TikTok algorithm generally works is that, yes, you get served videos that speak to your specific niche or that speak to a very specific thing that TikTok has picked up about you. But if you have, if the algorithm picks up an account with 1.1 million followers, it's very clear that that person is doing something that has mass appeal. And so naturally they are going to serve that person's content to just a lot more people outside of the people who follow them. Right. And the other thing that I want to bring up about this particular group of young queer creators is that they aren't all necessarily trans women. Um, Some of them, I think, identify as gay men. Some of them identify as non-binary. But the the, the theme that spans across this group, that all of these people are femme-presenting, right? So they tend to, you know, wear makeup that is traditionally seen as women's women's makeup. They wear clothes that are traditionally seen as women's clothes. They wear, you know, long hair wigs. You know, like they do all of those stuff that is traditionally seen as feminine or something that would lead other people to read them as femme or some sort of, you know, femme presenting. And so I want to make that point that in as much as these people are not trans women, or that or not all of them have said that they are trans women, but all of them present in a way that is very feminine, right? Um, in terms of you know the makeup they wear, the way the way their hair is set up, their clothes, all of those things presents very feminine. And so when and as I mentioned before, that a lot of these people have a very healthy following. So their content is going to be engaged with by a lot of people. And TikTok as well is going to serve their content to a lot of people. Now, I have noticed if you pick up any of these people, whether it's um, Mugelings, whose actual name is Banele, or it's Kamu Worldwide, or it's Nkuli Masemula, or it's Tato, you know, any, any, one, of those, any one of those people, when you search the stitches to their videos 
there is something very alarming and concerning that comes up. And that is, there are a lot of what I presume would be straight cisgender men who stitch their videos and continuously put out one point. And that point is that if I was at a club or a bar and it was late at night, if I see one of these people, I'm going to take them home. Right? So now you see that the language that is very much... Um, the, 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 the defense that is put up by a lot of people as to why they exert violence on trans bodies is that they were tricked. You see that language coming up in these videos that these men stitch or duet um, to, to, to queer TikTok creators to say, you know, if, if I just can get drunk enough, you know, if it's late at night and I'm drunk enough, then I can take you home. And, and, and at the end of the video, they'll, they'll say something like, I'm still straight, I'm still straight, but, you know, I'm saying that, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you catch me in the right um, state of mind, then I wouldn't mind taking this, then I would actually take this person home. And so the reason why I sort of accuse TikTok of platforming transphobia is that because that thing of being that the idea of being tricked into having sex with a trans woman or being tricked by someone who's fame presenting into taking them home and then ultimately you know them ending up getting beaten or even worse killed that that is that is obvious transphobia right when you when when you say that someone tricked me into taking them home i didn't know that they were x thing and then when i when we got home when, or when we got back to wherever we're about to have sex or whatever i then realized that they're trans and then i now violate them that is a very obviously transphobia right but then when you get to tiktok where the men who are duetting these queer creators' videos or who are stitching these queer creators' videos are not necessarily inciting violence onto these queer creators. They're not necessarily saying, if I, if this person, if I took this person home and I then found out that they were not a cisgender woman, I would do X amount of violence to them, right? Like, these men are not saying that. They, they, they're not saying... I would violate this person or I would harm this person if I found out they were trans. But they're putting across very coded language to say, if you catch me in a drunken state, you know, late at night at a club and I couldn't find another girl, I could take this person home. But then we also know that that the, the, the aftermath shame of a straight man taking home a trans woman does, in a lot of cases, lead to that trans man or that trans woman or the femme gay man or the femme non-binary person ultimately end up being dead, right? So there's a very clear like line from this language of saying that this person has tricked me to then that person ending up either dead or severely beaten up or in a critical 
condition in hospital or some other form of violence enacted against them, right? So this idea of I've been tricked and because I've been tricked, that has given me the right to then enact harm onto this person. Whereas now you have all of these men coming onto TikTok who are not necessarily following through on the train of thought. They're just simply leaving it at this person has the ability to trick me and I can fall for that trick, right? But then they're not finishing it up to say, and because I've fallen for the trick, I have the right to enact X amount of harm to this person. And so, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot to say, when, when there is general conversation about transphobia and all of those things, we tend to very much like focus on thinking about the end goal, which is not the end goal, that's a very bad language, the end result. And the end result being the trans person who has been harmed, right? When the harm has been enacted on them, whether they've been beaten up, whether they've actually been murdered. And when we don't focus enough on what are the events that lead to that thing happening. And we've seen many times that one of the events that lead to a trans person being murdered is that they are accused of having tricked a straight man into you know, getting into some sort of romantic or sexual entanglement with them, right? And so when these men come onto TikTok and accuse this group of queer creators of being tricksters, it is not necessarily read by a lot of people as transphobia, but when you look at the reasons why a lot of trans people, especially trans women, end up dead is because of that specific line of thinking. It's that kind of reasoning, it's that kind of thought process of this person is a trickster and they're tricking me that leads to trans people being murdered. And, you know, when you look at the guide, the community guidelines on TikTok and those kinds of things, because there is no direct incitement to do harm or threat to do harm, those duets and those stitches, you know, with those kinds of comments can't be taken down by TikTok, right? Because it doesn't violate the community guidelines. And even if you would be successful to get an actual human being on the other side of TikTok to review these videos, they also wouldn't come to the conclusion to say that this kind of content is transphobia and so we should be able to take down the content because as i mentioned there's no direct incitement to do harm or there's no direct threat to do harm but we know that and, and also so the other thing that i wanted to say is that because these men are stitching or and duetting these very popular creators the algorithm will then serve that content to a lot more people so it would have been one thing if these comments by these men when they're saying that, you know, this this creator is tricking me or if I was drunk, you know, I'd take this creator home and things like that. It would be one thing if those stitch videos and those um, those duets were being served to five people, ten people, or if those videos were being served by the algorithm to only that person's followers. But because you're duetting someone with a very big follower base, your stitch in your duet is going to be um, served to a lot more people simply because of just how the algorithm works. Because also, the, 
a lot of these creators also create content that is supposed to be stitched and is supposed to be duetted and people do duet their content and people do stitch their content and that's a way in which these queer creators also are able to grow their fan base but then you have within that group of people who are stitching them and people who are duetting them this group of men who are spreading what is essentially a transphobic message who end up in that group and they're also able to get that messaging out to um, whoever TikTok is going to serve that video to, right? And what that does is that it keeps within the imagination of South Africans broadly, but also young male South Africans, that you are allowed to find a trans woman or a femme gay man or a femme non-binary person attractive you are allowed to find them attractive. If you're drunk enough, you are allowed to take them home. But also if you then wake up the following morning and you feel a sense of shame on what has happened, you are allowed to enact violence on them, but then use the cover-up that you were tricked. You can use the cover-up that you didn't know. You can use the cover-up that, you know, you were drunk and this person seduced you and this person tricked you into taking them home. And so you can't be held accountable for your actions when you eventually found out the truth. Right? So, you know, in as much as we can say that, well, it's not TikTok's fault. You know, TikTok can't really police that kind of language. TikTok can't really, you know, do anything to take that kind of content down because the transphobia is very coded. Um, you need someone with the with the cultural competence to be able to decode the kind of transphobia. And also, you know, no, there isn't really any direct threat of harm. There isn't any direct incitement of harm. That kind of content can be taken down. But the point stands that the way things are going right now is that TikTok is platforming transphobia because they're allowing a message that is used by transphobes when they enact violence on trans people to reach a wider audience it would be one thing if these transphobic men had to work hard to build an audience in order for them to get this message across but the way that this is happening is that by simply them making the content and making sure that they're duetting these creators, these queer creators, or they're stitching these queer creators, by default and by the way the algorithm works, their message is going to re reach a very wide audience base. And it's because of that function of the algorithm that I make the point that TikTok is in actual fact transforming, um, platforming transphobia. Um, yeah, that's kind of the um, the thoughts that I wanted to get out. Thank you so much for listening. I see that there's um, Charlie, who's one of the listeners. Thank you so much for being my first listener on the very first um, episode I have on Colin. Um, I really hope I'll be able to sort of grow this platform a bit more. You know, after a couple of episodes, be able to get some callers to jump into the discussion and, you know, really just have an open line um, for for the episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one. Bye.